Good morning, church. It's good to worship with you all. Really appreciate our worship team and just being able to sing freely and worship Him as we are. Uh, It was awesome. Nobody had to come to that front door this morning and sort of like, are you qualified to come to this church today? Right? Did anybody get checked at the door? Did anybody get bounced? Did our bouncers kick you out? Obviously not. You're here, right? Isn't that a great thing? I know there's a motley crew to my right here, your left. I don't know how they got in here. Um, Sorry, it's my family. Um, But it's always good to have you here, to worship together. And uh, I want to invite you to to grab a Bible. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Uh, And I want to invite you to open up uh, your Bible and turn to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 3. It's Old Testament. So right near that very beginning of your Bible, 2 Kings, chapter 3. And as you're turning there, um, you know, I've, I've looked at around this world lately. I'm telling you, I try to find a news station to listen to and not be depressed. And here's what I found out. There isn't one, okay? Um, everywhere we look, when we look in this world, it seems like things are falling apart. Somebody's upset. Somebody's protesting something. The protesters are protesting the protesters. And it's just, it's like, what is going on, right? And you, you have to sit back and think, Aren't there so many people that we've seen come to know the Lord over the past few years? Hasn't there been churches with great revivals? Haven't we seen conferences or maybe moments when we see so many people come forward and they surrender their lives to Christ? And if that is so true, if so many people are coming to know the Lord and so many people are growing spiritually, why is the world getting worse, does it seem? Or have we just become maybe, I don't know, apathetic Christians who are just okay with being average and, and we aren't living out what we believe? Is that, the, is that the issue? I don't know. Or is the world just progressively getting worse in spite of how awesome God is and how many great things we're seeing? I don't know. But I, I, I look at this and I think if we believe, if we really believe, as we just sang, shouldn't there be something mighty and awesome happening in the church? I believe there should be. But yet we're sort of left with the what next feeling sometimes. Well, I believe, but so what's next? Well, I I believe in God the Father. I believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in all that, but what's next? Now, I'm I'm not going to pick on anybody and anybody having a birthday, but Emma, okay? So it's your birthday and you're a huge Cubs fan. Happy 18th. Can I ask you a question? Huge Cubs fan, okay? They won what last year? Oh, yeah, the World Series, okay. Were you excited about that? Were you, like, totally pumped? So what's next? They went again? <laughs> question mark? Okay. I don't want to pick on you, but see, a lot of us, we get so excited about, you know, the Cubs or the Indians or maybe the Cavs a couple years ago when they won, you know, and everybody gets so excited about, yeah, we won, we won, yeah. And you wake up the next day and say, what's next? I don't know, but we won yesterday. That's great, but what about today? I don't know, I'm just going to wear a shirt that I bought, celebrating the victory, you know? And then that's it, you know, and I'm going to walk around and I'm going to talk in we-isms. Like, did you see how we played last night? Really? I didn't see you out there. Awesome. When you get that ring with 5,000 diamonds on it, why don't you sell it and give 10% to the church? We could pay off the no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's like, what's next? What is next? I mean, it's like, oh, we, I don't know. I got that promotion. Yes. What's next? I don't know, but I got the promotion. And I don't know. 
But I know it's exciting to be here, right? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? You know, hey, I made the team. Congratulations. What's next? I don't know. I just wanted to make the team. Well, you're in. Now what? In the same way with our faith. I believe in Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Now what? I don't know. Baptism, I guess. Good. Great. Glad you're getting baptized. What's next? I'm not sure. And I believe that's why, you know, it's so important is, you know, Pastor Landon, we've been working on discipleship and discipleship classes and, and learning what it means for sanctification, that consistent growth and journeying with Jesus Christ to keep growing and keep growing because there is a next. There is a next. And there isn't just a, well, I'm saved. That's good enough. No, it's not. There's more. There's so much more. And when I look into the scriptures, and today's passage is really a simple story. It's one of those Old Testament stories that we probably just, if you read through the Bible, it was one of those days like, da-da-da, okay, next page, next page, and then nothing probably clicked or sank in. So I appreciate when I listen to other pastors or read books and read different authors, and maybe I catch a glimpse or something from what they gleaned out of a story, then it hits me, then I go back and look at it and sort of reshape it and share it, or what God's laid on my heart. There are stories like this that pop out. And this story in 2 Kings chapter 3, when I was reading it, it just it gave me two quick points of living. First of all, is that God's not a shortcut. God is the solution. God is the solution. Let's say this together. God is the solution. Look at the person next to you and tell them God is the solution. Go ahead and tell them. He is the solution. And here's the second thing out of the story is I need to do my part. I need to do my part. It isn't just like, okay, I've become a Christian, and now I'll just go to God to help me out on certain things. No, God is the solution, and now that I'm a Christian, I still have to do my part. There's still things that God wants me to do with my life in this faith. So if we look at 2 Kings chapter 3, um, here I'm going to give you a little background on this. And sort of go back to, there's always like a starting point somewhere. We're not going to hit Genesis, so let's move forward because everybody can relate to Moses. And Moses was in Egypt and took the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he went into the wilderness and wandered for quite a while until Joshua then took them across the Jordan River. The 12 tribes are now across. Okay, but here's the deal. From then we fast forward through David and Solomon. And we get into the second kings. We start seeing a time of history of God's people where things sort of fell apart. There's a lot of lessons to be learned in here. But it would seem that they would have established themselves in the promised land, and the promised land would have been great. But here's the problem. They got into the promised land, and it wasn't good enough. Hey, hey God, uh, we, we, we love you. Thank you for this land. But we want a king. Because see all these other surrounding nations? They have kings leading them. It would be great if we had a king, uh, a physical being on a throne that we can go to and talk to. So we want kings. And God warned them, but they didn't listen. And they decided to still go ahead anyway and have their kings. So they had some kings in their time in history. But the problem was there was little decisiveness and some unruling situations and some moments when people weren't getting along. And all of a sudden, Israel got split into two kingdoms, a northern and a southern kingdom. There was Israel and there was Judah. There was ten tribes and there was two tribes. And now we've got these two, this one nation having this civil dispute and almost, you want to say, not really a civil war, but there was a lot of unfriendliness shown towards each other between these two nations, this split nation, I should call it. 
And for years, as they were split and they warred with each other and they had various kings, and you could read one king acted one way while another king acted another way, but a lot of times it was they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it wasn't a good situation. So in 2 Kings chapter 3, we come to a time period where King Yahram made peace with Judah's king, Jehoshaphat. And in order to attack another nation, Moab, who is causing a lot of issues with King Yahram. So together they mustered up this army. The north and the south came together and they actually brought in a third king and they said, let's go attack this other nation. That's sort of the history here. So if you would, look at 2 Kings chapter 3. We'll start in verse 9. The king of Edom and his troops joined them. All three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water for the men or their animals. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord's brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. Isn't it amazing that throughout the Bible we always hear that? When somebody gets into a tight situation, especially Old Testament, it was like, God brought us here to kill us. Remember that happened all the time with Moses. Everybody's always complaining. It's like, you get in a bad situation, it's like, God hates me. God brought me here purposely to hurt me or to make my life miserable. It's funny as we still sort of do that sometimes today. We're in a bad situation. Life's not going well. And we're like, all right, God, why did you bring me here? What are you trying to show me? As if God was up there orchestrating and saying, man, I, you know what? You need to learn a lesson. I'm going to make you really miserable today. Okay? That will wake you up. But that's sometimes how our thinking goes. And you can't blame Yahram for thinking this way because, as I said, we do that. We see it even throughout the New Testament that it happened when things go wrong. We question God. When things aren't going our way, we question God. It must be my fault. God's punishing me. In your Bibles, let me give you another passage, John chapter 9. You can turn there if you want. You can look it up later. I want to read just a few verses from it. But John chapter 9 verse 1 says this. Jesus is walking along. And he saw a man that was born blind from birth. And he's walking along... This blind man goes, Rabbi, he yells out to him to call his name, I'm sorry, son of David. Then the disciples say, Rabbi, look at this man. Tell me, why was he born this way? Was it his sins? Was it his parents' sins? Why is he this way? Verse 3 of John chapter 9, Jesus said this, It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen through him. You know why this guy is this way right here? It wasn't his mistake. It wasn't his parents' mistake. He was born this way so that God could be praised. And then if you read on the rest of the story, we see that Jesus healed this man and he was no longer blind. and performed an incredible miracle. That's the way God works, right? But Jesus was asked by his disciples this very thing that we struggle with. When something bad happens to someone, we say, is that judgment from God because they're sinners? Is that why that happened, God? Did, did they do something or did their parents do something that causes, they deserve this, right, God? And a lot of times, again, something horrible happens to us, we're like, God's punishing me. We're thinking no different than the disciples thought, no different than the religious leaders thought, no different than what Moses and the people that followed him thought. They all had this similar belief in thinking that. 
But here's what we know. We know this. All choices lead to consequences, right? Every day we make choices. Good choices, bad choices. No matter what choice you make, it will lead to a consequence. Certainly there are choices we make against God's commands. And I'm going to tell you, you go against God's word, there will be a consequence. It's probably going to be a natural consequence. You break the law and you get caught, you will be punished. And we get surprised by that. But that's a consequence. Sin always has consequences. But Jesus tells us in the case of the blind man, it wasn't the sin of his parents or him that caused this. He was just blind. Church, we live in a fallen world. We live in an imperfect world. We live in a broken world. Death, brokenness, it is real. That's the world we live in. If anybody ever told you life would be fair, they lied to you. Life is never fair. Not sure where we read that. We live in a broken, fallen world. Period. No longer do we live in the Garden of Eden. That was beautiful before sin. No longer are we living in a time of Adam and Eve before they made a bad choice. And this is not heaven yet. So we're sort of in between right now, those two states of perfection and living in imperfection. And this is what we have, sinful and broken. And that's why compelled, listen carefully, that is why compelled by the love of God, he sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth to seek and save those who are lost. He knows we're broken. He knows we're sinful. And compelled by love, God said, because I love you, I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to take the penalty of a sin that you can't pay. And when you place your faith in me and you confess your sins, I will forgive you and make you new. It's a promise. And so even in the midst of imperfection, God has made us new through his Holy Spirit when we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. The man was born blind not because he did something wrong, but so that God could do something mighty. And he still wants to do mighty things through us even when we are broken, even when we are messing up. King Yaram, like many of us, come to a point where we think God hates us and is punishing us due to our actions. But that's not the case. Read on, verse 11. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah, again, 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. Oh, great idea. So one of King Yaram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. So Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. Yes, him, him, him. Let's get him. So the kings of Israel and Judah and Edom went to consult with Elisha. Now, both King Yahram and Jehoshaphat believed there was a spiritual divine element to what was going on here. They both believed that. King Yahram believed that God was to be avoided because of the consequences of probably my bad choices. While King Yosef believed that God should be sought out because of the crisis that was going on. Now, when you read the translation in your Bible, yours may be different from what I'm reading. I often read from the New Living Translation on Sunday mornings, if some of you wonder. 
studied through different translations throughout the week, but this one I read from. In this translation, it says, um, in another translation, I'm sorry, it reads, which poured water over the hands of Elijah. Elisha, who served Elijah. Elisha, who poured water over the hands of Elijah. Now, I want you to get that picture of what a servant is. It's a wonderful title for any servant of God. Elisha was humble and a practical servant of Elijah. There was spiritual service that prepared him for further spiritual service down the road. And this was simply, I will pour water over your hands and wash your hands for you. I will serve you. And it seems so trivial and so like, like beneath me to wash somebody else's hands. But Elisha said, it would be my honor to serve you in this manner. Knowing that whatever I do to serve you will be for benefit down the road in serving God. There's a passage in the New Testament. I want to read this to you from Matthew 25. There's a time of judgment coming. And Jesus tells this parable. It says, when this judgment comes, this is what it's going to be like. But I'm going to be separating the righteous from the unrighteous. And he, re- he shares this parable with his disciples. He says this. After he shares about how he's going to separate them, the righteous ones replied, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we ever feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. What you did... For the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Then the king turned to those on his left, those who were being judged and going to be um, given a bad sentencing. He said this, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they replied, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he answered, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, you refused to help me. When we serve God... We serve others. When we serve others, we are serving God. What we do for the least of these, we are doing for him. When I read this and sit there and think, okay, my simple act of love or kindness to this person, I might think is really simple, but when I show that love to another person, I'm showing my love to God. I'm serving him. I don't do it to get a pat on the back. We don't do it because we got a sign on the back of our sanctuary that says, go be the church. All right, let's go love God and love others. Let's do it for the name of True North. No, we don't do it for the name of True North. We do it for the name of God. What we do for the least of these, we do for Him. Amen? Not for ourselves. So as Elisha was serving Elijah, he wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for God. And these kings looked at him and said, isn't there a servant of God? Isn't there somebody who serves God? And they knew right away what kind of man he was. Isn't that a great title to have? Never be ashamed of being called a servant of God. 
And so in 2 Kings 3, we read on. So the kings of Israel and Judah and Edom went to consult with Elisha. And normally, again, kings demand, you come to me. But these kings went to him. They went to the prophet. That's called humility, right? Verse 13, why are you coming to me, Elisha, asked the king of Israel. Now you have to remember, that king was a very evil king. He says, go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. But King Yahram of Israel said, no, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here only to be defeated by the king of Moab. So Elisha's like, why do you want me here? You are an evil king. Why don't you just go to your pagan idols that you worship? And he's like, because God wants to destroy us here. That's why. So he got a little snarkiness going between them, right? Look at verse 14. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you, except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me somebody who can play the harp. While the harp is being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. I love it. It's like he's got this righteous anger in him. Oh, you're an evil king coming to me wanting to give you some good news from God. But you know what? Because of King Jehoshaphat, who I do respect and I knew is trying to live a godly life and, and lead in a godly way, I'll give you what God wants to say to you. Just bring me a harp so I can be calmed down. It's like his righteous anger is like, okay, I do want to get a word from God, but I got to get my heart right. Let's sing. And so they brought a harp. Colossians 3, 15 to 16 says this. Let the peace, let me hear you say peace. Let's say it together again. Peace, one more time. Peace, don't we need peace sometimes? Isn't it sort of a crazy world? Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace. Always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. You want peace to rule in your life? Let's sing together. Let's let the peace of God rule in our hearts as we sing. You know, last Saturday, a week ago, uh, I listened to seven hours straight of worship music. Seven hours straight. I was not at a worship conference. I was not at a church meeting. I was not with my Bible having a time with Jesus. Okay, I wasn't doing that, okay? I was listening to seven hours straight of worship music. You know why? Because I was painting my deck. Okay? Now, we're redoing the deck, stripped off the old stuff, trying to put a new deck on there, and I was like, yes, we're almost there. Now i got to do is paint the railings. Oh, there are so many railings. <laughs> nice cream color, too, on my red burn... You don't know how to describe that color. I have no idea what it's color. It's just sort of a reddish, brownish, whatever, but it's pretty cool. My wife likes it. Anyway, and I'm going to paint this cream, which is a very fluid paint, different than the deck over. And as I first started to paint that railing, drip, drip. Oh, no. I forgot to cover it, so I cover up and then drip, drip. And I still, how did I miss the cover and hit over there? I stopped painting after about a half hour, two days before that Saturday. And I just looked at those spots already. I'm thinking, and I still have like 95% of this to do. So that Saturday when I started to paint, I got some things that I, best I could to cover up where I was going to paint, knowing that it would probably drip. And I put on seven hours of worship music. You know why? Because I did not want to curse before the Lord. Okay? 
I'm not that kind of a guy, but I could be taken to that point, I believe. And after just 30 minutes of that one day, I knew seven hours, I would not make it. There's no way. There's just no way. I calculated how long it was going to take me to delicately paint every rail. And every, it was like, I got done that day, and there was peace. I was very tired. I was very sore from mangling different things, you know, and sitting in certain situations. But I listened to worship music for seven hours because I needed Jesus. Okay? Don't we all need him? I, when, I, when I read this, he's like, bring me some music. Bring the harp. Let's, let's, I, need, I, need to, I need to worship. I'm thinking, amen, Elisha. I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. And I thought about this. What an amazing thing for that nameless musician. We don't even know his name, do we? But he came in to calm Elisha's heart, to connect him with God. We don't even know his name. And he is the one who brought peace into Elisha so Elisha could bring peace and victory to these kings. And we don't even know his name. Does it matter sometimes what we do in serving God? Sometimes we want our name in the paper. We want to post on social media, look at what I did for Jesus. You know what? Don't worry about it. It's okay to be nameless. It's okay to be nameless like this musician, to serve him without needing a pat on the back, to do what God's asked you to do in no dramatic form, just serve in the nursery, just help with GPS or Tupac, help in the children's class, deliver a meal, just do it without having to toot a horn or anything. Realize this, you're probably going to impact a life in a way you've never realized you can impact. And that's the neat thing about it. So the king of Israel came to Elisha, he needs us prompting him to look for a solution, right? But Elisha points him towards God. It's like, what's the solution? What's the solution? What do we need to, what do we need to do? And Elisha goes, God. See, God's your solution. And you probably don't realize this, but God's your solution. Look at verse 16. And he said, this is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You'll see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord. But this valley is going to be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves, your cattle, all the other animals. But it's only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. You will conquer the best of their towns, even the fortified ones. You'll cut down all their good trees. You'll store up all the springs. You'll ruin all their good lands with stones. And I love this. He's like, this is like a strange promise from God. He's like, will we have victory? How do we fight these guys? We're running out of water. And God says, here's what's going to happen. See this valley in front of you? It's going to be full of water. That's it. It's really simple. I'm just going to give you a bunch of water. That water is going to bring you victory in more ways than you're ever going to understand. Verse 16, another translation reads this. Make this valley full of ditches. God promised to send the water to the valley, but here's the first thing they had to do. They had to go out and they had to dig a ditch. All of them. Every soldier, grab a shovel. Grab your shovel. We're going to go out and dig ditches. What an incredible way to win a war. What an incredible way to be victorious. So we're all digging for wells, right? No, we're going to dig a ditch. Don't you need to dig a well? Because that's the source of the spring of water is a well, not a ditch. A ditch holds water. It doesn't produce water. Shouldn't we go find maybe um, a stream somewhere and, and just sort of dig this way and let it flow our direction. Of course, they couldn't find that anywhere. They'd been going seven days, no water. And God says, dig ditches. Sort of a strange thing. We talked about this years ago. We're going to 
build a building, but we don't have the money. And why are we going to build the building if we got so, many, so few people? Just build the building. I'll fill it. Well, we don't have that program, and we don't have a discipleship program. Who's going to come and want to get, keep growing? Just start a program. People want to grow. Dig a ditch. I want to feel it. I want to put something in there for all of you. So the kings, the kings returned to Elisha, told the commanders to go dig ditches. And you have to think about this. You go back to your army, thirsty, near death, parched, and we're going to go dig ditches. Mm. Demonstrates the principle that God wants us to prepare for the blessing that he wants to bring, but we got to do the work, right? Digging ditches is something that the people of God can do. And God, God didn't ask them to do more than they were able to do. He just said, just do that. I'm not telling you how to defeat the other army. I'm not telling you how to sharpen your swords. Just go dig a ditch. Charles Spurgeon once said this. If we expect to obtain the Holy Spirit's blessing, we must prepare for his reception. You hear that? A lot of us want the Holy Spirit to work through us, but are we preparing to receive him? Make this valley full of trenches is an order which is given for the members of the church. Make ready for the Holy Spirit's power. He prepared to receive that which he's about to give. Each man in his place, each woman in her sphere. Make the whole of the church full of trenches for the reception of the divine water floods. Spurgeon went on to say this, Act not on the mere strength of what you have, but in expectation for what you have asked. See, the king came to Elisha inquiring about water. And God wanted to give them more than their immediate need. I'll give you water, but I'm also going to give you victory. You didn't even ask for victory. And I'm going to give it to you. It's a simple thing for the Lord to make us victorious, right? Many of us try to use God for sheer motivation and inspiration, right? Oh, God, inspire me right now. Help me to do this, right? Rarely progress to the point of actually putting into practice what God calls us to do. We just want to be inspired more than we want to be obedient. We wake up every morning, God, inspire me. God, inspire me. Instead of maybe praying, God, make me obedient. God, make me obedient. And we get so excited about inspiration, we forget about obedience. But what does God want? Obedience. And when we're obedient, he shows us things we've never seen before. And guess what? That inspires us. His spirit then speaks to us in ways never seen before. Listen, miracles are not magic tricks, and faith is not a lottery ticket. Faith is in a work order. Our lives are transformed when we practice in the purpose of God. We put into that action. The kings came to Elisha looking for a miracle, and Elisha gave them a set of instructions. So let me ask you this. Are you, church, willing to do your part to see God at work? Are you willing to dig ditches for God? I'm not sure what he would ask you to do. I'm not sure what your ditch is. But if he said, pick up that shovel and go do that today, would you do it? Well, God, inspire me with the water first. And God said, you're not going to see the water until you dig the ditch. All of us want to see water. But are we willing to dig the ditch? Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, The next day at about the same time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom. And soon there was water everywhere. 
There is water where? I'm sorry, can you say it again? There was water where? Everywhere. There was not a rainstorm. We we don't even know how it happened. All we know is that water flowed, and it was everywhere. Every ditch that was dug was full and overflowing. We're not sure how. We just know God did. And God often moves us to do things that may may not make much sense for the moment. But these are the things that we look at as preparation for what he's going to do in the future. I don't know why we do certain things. Sometimes we do in a church. We think we have a good plan for things, right? And we're like, well, I don't know. I guess we're just supposed to do this. We do it. And then lo and behold, later we see, wow, glad we did that. And isn't that how the Spirit works? Sometimes God says, I want you to do this. Please do this. And actually, I don't think he says please. I think he just gives us the command. And when we're obedient and we dig that ditch, we do what he asks us to do, then we see the blessings. Some of us pray for blessings and we forget to dig. Faith is making preparation for something you can't perceive, something I can't perceive. And the measure of water available to these thirsty men was directly connected to how faithful they were to dig in the ditches. As faithful as they were to digging, that's the water they received. The more ditches, the bigger the ditches, the more water is provided. Though it was hard and unpleasant work, I'm sure none of them are thinking, man, this is just, this is awesome. You having fun? I'm having fun. I've been washing for seven days. I couldn't wait just to stop and dig ditches. This makes life more awesome than ever before. Forget about hitting somebody with a sword or a bow and arrow. I just love this shovel. Don't we do that in life? I don't think we do, do we? God tells us to do something. We're like, I got to give up what? I got to go where? I'm going to make a meal for who? And sometimes we don't see the joy in that, realizing, oh, you're digging a ditch right now, and God's going to bless you. And maybe he's not going to bless you as much as he's going to bless somebody else. We must do our part in seeing God's miracles in our lives. So let me ask you again, what ditches is God calling you to dig? What is he asking you to do? And are you available? And are you willing to pick up the shovel for him? Are you available? Are you willing. I believe we're all able. God's just waiting for us to have the faith to get started. Sometimes we think that just praying a prayer of forgiveness is enough. I've confessed with my mouth. I, I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I prayed that prayer. and God forgave me. And I'm a Christian now. That's good enough. Don't give me a shovel. Give me a chair. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think God's calling us to more things. When we discover our sin and we genuinely repent, we genuinely repent. There are tears. There is sorrow. And I'll never forget, I shared this with you, and I'm going to share it again. A few weeks back, I was at camp, and at camp, gave them an opportunity for kids to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. And dozens of kids came down to the front, and they were, I'm down on the floor, and they were, it was like reverse. I'm down on the floor, and they were seated up that direction. And they came down, and as they came down, and I know there's probably a kid or two, it's like, well, my buddy's going down, so I'm going to go down too, and we'll all go down together and, and pray, right? But as I looked, there were some kids, they just got done playing the game before chapel, they were all dirty and stuff, and there was tear marks on these kids' faces. Genuine repentance. They knew that they were sinners before Jesus and that he died for them. And you know what? They're like, I want to get things right with God tonight, now. 
And they did. And I could see those tears on their face. And it was so real. Not all my, but I'm looking, I'm going, and I just, as I was sitting there looking at them, I was like, this is incredible. Why aren't we like that? Why can't we be more genuinely repentant of, of blowing it before God and, and confessing? But once we do that and we confess, he forgives us, which is an incredible thing, right? But we're not done. There's quite a few people that are going to get baptized in two weeks. I'm just got to remind you, because in two weeks, you show up here, it's going to be an empty building, the doors will be locked. We'll be out at your gears, okay? So make sure you get out there, because you're going to see uh, over a dozen people getting baptized. And those people have said, you know what? I'm not perfect, but I did give my life to Jesus Christ. I've confessed. And I know I need to get baptized now. It's my next step. Their baptism is a public confession of their faith. Their baptism is basically an outward showing of what they believe in here. That's the next step. I love it. But we're not done. We then need to pick up our shovels, right? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. We're going to, we're, we're going to sing a song. We're actually going to sing a couple songs. Um, I, as I've been praying about this and, and um, the other day and just going through, and I'm just thinking like, you know what? I really believe that, you know, and I, and I don't know everybody that's here today, because I know we have some visitors here today. I'm so glad you're here. But I do know this. There's a lot of us in here. We do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but there might be somebody in here who doesn't. I'd like to believe that everybody in this room can proclaim the truth that we believe in Jesus Christ. That's the last song we sang. We're going to sing that again. Do you really believe that? That song we sang. In the, in the book of James, chapter 2, it says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it in your actions? What, can that kind of faith save anybody? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Hey, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good is that? Because you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, someone might argue, well, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God, like we were just singing? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without deeds is useless? Church, what I'm saying is this. We've got, a, we've got a world out here that says, well, now what? I'm a Christian. Now what? I'm saying pick up the shovel and start digging ditches. That's basically what I'm saying this morning. If you really believe, then let's live it out. And you are, right? But we need to encourage each other. Encourage one another as you come before the Lord to keep living it out, to keep picking up that shovel, to keep serving God. You're like, I, I did yesterday and I'll do it again today. Awesome. Keep it up. Praise God, right? Not our pat on the back, but praise God that we keep picking up these shovels. And let's encourage one another. Because maybe let's just, let's just be really, um, I don't know, crazy and say 100% of every single person in this room, 100% has got this down. We believe it and we're living it, right? I know it's not true, but let's say it is. We know other people who go to other churches that don't go to church that need to hear this. So we take what we hear and what we know and we share that with others in love.
not in condemnation, in love. We go to those who don't know Jesus Christ and we share the love of Jesus Christ with them. That might be your shovel this week. You know somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And they're dying. And they're going to go to hell. And you have the answer. I have the answer. Let's share that answer out of love, not out of condemnation. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Amen? So now we can do the same. We pick up our shovel and we say, I'm going to go share my faith with somebody. Or maybe you know, know another brother or sister in Christ goes to another church and you're just going to encourage them that they live out their faith too, just like you're trying to live out your faith. Not that you or I have a perfect. We're on a journey. But let's grab the shovels and dig, right? But what do you believe? What do you believe? Church, would you stand with me? Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, His Son? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe in all this? I do. I want to pray. When I get done praying, let's sing this song together. Let's sing this song together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the amazing God you are. Such a simple story we read about Elisha. God, thank you that through this simple story, that we're reminded that you're the solution. You're not a shortcut to victory. You are the solution. And to remind us that we have a part in our faith. Just as those soldiers put down their swords and they picked up a shovel, God, we need to pick up our shovels, Lord, and dig for you. But God, the digging don't matter if we don't believe it. God, we believe in you. We want to sing this song to you. In the name of prayer. Amen.